Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Of course, you know what film I'm talking about, right? That's the famous tagline from the film Network from 1976. And those words were spoken by the unhinged anchorman named Howard Beale, who was portrayed so brilliantly in that film by Peter Finch. The rest of the cast equally incredible, including Faye Dunaway, William Holden, and Robert Duvall. The film directed by Sidney Lamette and featuring a screenplay written by Patty Chayefsky. The film won four Academy Awards and indelibly shaped how we think about corporate and media power. Dave Itzkoff is a culture reporter at the New York Times. He writes regularly about film and television, theater, music, and pop culture. Dave has written a terrific new book called Mad as Hell, The Making of Network, and The Fateful Vision of the Angriest Man in movies. In a recent phone conversation with Dave, I led off by asking him why he decided to write a book about the making of the film Network and the man behind the film, the screenwriter Patty Chayefsky. You know, I've always had a particular affinity for the popular culture of the 1970s. I think partly just because I was born in 1976, and so of course I romanticize, you know, that that period uh, of of history. But uh, you know, the films of that era, I think, were just so vibrant and also. I mean, so, uh, you know, pugnacious. They really tried to take on, uh, you know, really complicated issues and, and controversy and were able to do it uh, in a very mainstream way that, that Hollywood studios were, you know, happy to finance these films and, you know, really the, the, the most talented people were, were happy to be in them. Uh, but in this particular case, I mean, I had an opportunity about three years ago, the New York Public Library had come to me because they own Patty Chayefsky's papers and just for an article in the New York Times, they had shown me just even a sampling of, of some of his work on network, and that included not only screenplay drafts, but also the correspondence that he was keeping at the time, uh, you know, letters that he wrote, for example, to Paul Newman, trying to uh, persuade him to play the role of Howard Beale, and, uh, you know, letters that he wrote uh, after the movie came out to people like Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor, uh, you know, essentially apologizing if the movie had offended them or if they, you know, if they felt that it had tarnished their industry in any way. So that, I mean, to me, really suggests that there was a much uh, deeper tale uh, to be told here about that film. Take us into the life and career of Patty Chayefsky. He wrote the screenplay for Network quite late in his life in the 1970s. He did some of his finest work way back in the 1950s, didn't he? Absolutely. I mean, people may remember him also as the author of Marty, which was, you know, one of the really first famous, you know, anthology drama teleplays to be produced in the early 1950s. And then that, of course, uh, was adapted into the Academy Award winning film that he wrote and which starred uh, Ernest Borgnine. Uh, so, you know, in, in that era, I mean, he was writing more of these kinds of, uh, you know, closely observed character pieces about, uh, you know, sort of seemingly everyday people and, and, you know, conflicts that were intensely personal, but not necessarily where, you know, the fate of, uh, you know, civilization is, is at stake. Uh, but, you know, as his career progressed and he went, 
you know, essentially from television to motion pictures to live theater and then back into TV and film a little bit. Uh, I mean, he was always kind of plagued by, uh, you know, the frustration about the work that he was doing in the sense that, uh, you know, I mean, he never felt like he was getting to exercise the level of control over his own work that he wanted. There were always other people who could, you know, have input about the writing or the casting or how things got produced. Uh, So, you know, I mean, as much as he's sort of looking for stories to tell uh, that he feels are worthy of him, he's also looking for, you know, uh, opportunities to have total autonomy over what he's writing. And that leads to, uh, you know, uh, basically jumping from one medium to the next and often with a little bit of bridge burning each time he makes one of those transitions. The crowd-pleasing and, in my small opinion, not all that fantastic film, Rocky, starring Sylvester Stallone, inexplicably won the Best Picture Oscar at the 49th Academy Awards, but also nominated for Best Picture for 1976. You did have Network, All the President's Men, the Woody Guthrie biopic Bound for Glory, and Martin Scorsese's masterpiece Taxi Driver. 1976 was a pretty incredible year for films, other than Rocky, right? Oh, of course. I mean, it just, you know, you have, I, I mean, let's, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, but maybe to put it in, in more neutral terms or in fairness to Rocky, I mean, you basically had, you know, four movies there that we're talking about. You know, they were all sort of describing a kind of, you know, a pessimistic, you know, post-Watergate, post-Nixon period for America, a lot of, uh, you know, skepticism and uncertainty about where the country was going. And and one of the five in, in Rocky was maybe more uplifting and more about the possibility of, you know, the underdog overcoming it all, and maybe that's what the Academy wanted to recognize in, in that year. But, uh, uh, you know, was it, was it the absolute best picture of 1976? I think, uh, you know, it, time may have told otherwise. How did the production of Network take shape? Something you see in the opening credits, even before the director's name, before you see Sidney Lamet, who directed the film, you see Network by Petty Chayefsky, which is very unusual, but also a testament to how much this film came from the mind and heart and soul of Chayefsky. Seeing the writer credit first before the director or even the producer of a film is something that you virtually never see, right? No, no. I mean, that again speaks to, you know, the, the just the level of, uh, you know, of, of control and ownership that, that Chayefsky, you know, really insisted upon over his own projects. And even, you know, the director, Sidney Lumet, coming into this knows that, you know, this is going to be a much more uh, collaborative process than other films that he is used to directing. But, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, in, in the mid-70s, uh, you know, Chayefsky starts basically visiting the newsroom operations of the major networks. I mean, with, with their permission, you know, NBC and CBS and ABC just let him kind of come in and, and see how they transact their business, how their how their newsrooms work. And, you know, they don't know what kind of movie he's going to write, and he doesn't really know what kind of movie he's going to write. But it certainly then evolves into the deeply satirical film that we're all familiar with. And that's that comes from a very long, uh, you know, very internal process of just writing and rewriting. And, you know, one where he's, he's very much a, a self-editor of his own work, not really sharing it even with his, you know, producing partner or, you know, with studio executives. Uh, by the time he delivers the script, in his mind, it's, it's done. And he's not really looking for, uh, you know, notes or suggestions on how to improve it. When we are watching the TV newsroom that's portrayed in network, we're actually seeing a studio in Canada, aren't we? Why is that? 
Exactly. I mean, for those for those sequences, the ones that are essentially, you know, creating recreating a live TV broadcast, including the very famous Mad as Hell speech, those were all filmed in Toronto. As much as you know, everything else was done in New York. But uh, you know, even though there were, of course, you know, broadcast TV operations in New York, you know, none of those networks wanted their their uh, facilities, uh, you know, associated with this movie. That as they start to read the script, uh, you know, they could start to sense, you know, how, uh, you know, it, it, this was not necessarily a movie that was going to reflect well upon them. And so, you know, they certainly didn't want to, at that point, invite, uh, you know, the, the, the filmmaking team in and say, you know, please, please use our, uh, our resources to make fun of us. Dave, tell us more about the cast of Network and how it came together. Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Peter Finch, Robert Duvall, all top shelf actors. Yeah, and, and in, in some cases, you know, these were actors that they really had to almost, you know, struggle and, and, and strive to find. I mean, certainly someone like Faye Dunaway uh, fell into place very easily. She was the very first uh, actor that was announced for the project. And, I mean, she was as, you know, uh, you know as hot career-wise as could be at that time, having just come off of Chinatown. And, of course, you know, she had done Bonnie and Clyde and the Thomas Crown Affair by that point. Uh, and, and certainly in the case of Holden, he was, you know, also somebody who was, always sort of near the top of casting lists. But, you know, Peter Finch was someone that they came to very late in the process after having uh, exhausted a lot of other candidates for the role of, of Howard Beale. As I mentioned, you know, uh, Chayefsky tried to go directly to Paul Newman to see if he was interested, and, and that didn't, didn't happen. Uh, they also tried going back to uh, George C. Scott, who was the star of uh, Chayefsky's film The Hospital, uh, and he made it very clear that, you know, he would only do the role of his then-wife, uh, Trish Vanderveer, could play the role that eventually went to Faye Dunaway. That was obviously a non-starter. Uh, and a lot of other, you know, really A-list people, whether it was, you know, Walter Matthau, Jimmy Stewart, who all turned up on casting lists. Uh, you know, there, I think there was certainly a sense that, you know, as much as Chayefsky's writing was revered and, uh, you know, people had respect for him, there was an understanding this was this was going to be uh, a controversial film. There was even concern that, you know, it was going to be an obscene film with all the dirty words that are in the script. And so uh, a lot of people didn't necessarily want to touch it. Peter Finch will forever be known for his role as newsman Howard Beale in Network. What are your impressions of Peter's character in this film, this man who's in the midst of a nervous breakdown, but who still manages to say such profound things about the human condition? I mean, the, one of the great ironies is that, you know, when when the you know the role finally comes to, to Finch, I mean, he he's somebody who was at the time perceived as being sort of at the tail end of his own career. I mean, he'd gotten uh, an Oscar nomination a few years earlier for the movie Sunday, Bloody Sunday. But, uh, you know, by 1976, I mean, he's basically living in semi-retirement in, in Jamaica and not really, uh, you know, looking at scripts or, you know, doing auditions. And, uh, you know, so it, it, when, when an opportunity like this, you know, comes his way, I mean, he really, uh, you know, I mean, invested everything he had in into the role. I mean, just the energy and the the, the passion. And, uh, I mean, you can certainly see how, how that comes across on, on screen. And, I mean, we know uh, you know, we know now, I mean, he, he died, uh, you know, just a couple of months after the film was released in theaters, essentially in the midst of a very heavy-duty uh, promotional campaign for the film and didn't even live, you know, long enough to see himself, uh, you know, nominated for an Oscar, let alone, you know, winning it for the role. 
Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Prince of the City, The Verdict. These are just a few of the other masterworks from director Sidney Lamette. All of these films either done right before or right after he did Network in 76. How did Sidney Lamette handle these big names and I assume big egos of these actors and also Patty Chayefsky who had pretty strong opinions about how Network was supposed to look and take shape? <laughs> well, you know, like Chayefsky, he's somebody who also got his start uh, in the golden age of TV, uh, you know, and, and even even in that era had sort of established his bona fides as just this kind of workhorse that he liked to work, you know, six and even seven day weeks on two series at the same time. Uh, you know, so by the 70s, I mean, he's really evolved this very kind of naturalistic style, as you mentioned in films like uh, Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, really the foremost sort of, uh, you know, filmmaker when it comes to depicting the sort of grittiness of, of New York in that kind of 70s, uh, you know, nadir, you could call it. But, uh, you know, I mean, he also was, I mean, really quite a, uh, you know, I mean, a diplomat and, and, you know, I mean, the kind of person who just knew how to interact with all kinds of personalities and some very uh, high-strung people. And, you know, so, I mean, there's really no one that I think has uh, an ill ill word for him. And, you know, he, I mean, he was working in an unusual arrangement where even though he is the director of the film and was exerting a lot of influence over its, uh, you know, creative decisions. I mean, he's got Patty Chayefsky on set with him every single day by Chayefsky's demand. And, you know, Chayefsky is there not to, you know, necessarily you know, instruct him on the composition of his shots or even tell the actors how to perform their roles, but just to make sure that all the dialogue is being performed exactly as he wrote it and that no words are changed or altered or, or omitted. And uh, that is not an easy arrangement for uh, for any un- uh, director to undertake. In your book, you write about the most difficult scene to shoot in the film, the love scene between Faye Dunaway's character, Diana Christensen, who heads the network's programming department and and William Holden's character, Max Schumacher, who's president of the network's news division. What made that one so tough to shoot? As, as much as I think we all sometimes enjoy watching love scenes, I mean, nobody is particularly a fan of uh, having to film them. And, and this this one was just exceptionally uh, thorny in, in that, you know, even before the film was shot, I mean, you know, Holden had certainly gone on record about his discomfort with uh, with love scenes, but you know, it, as, as soon as the you know, as soon as they come back into New York from Canada to start, you know, all the the, the New York based filming, you know, Faye Dunaway basically drew a hard line with them that she was not going to shoot uh, this particular sequence. That you know, I mean, she it, it, it was it, it was something that you know there was there was going to be at least a you know a, a suggestion of of nudity in the scene, and and you know she was going to have to uh, fake an orgasm for it. I mean, the joke of the whole scene is that the character, as she's uh, you know in flagrante, she is constantly talking about you know her job and uh, you know her the TV shows that she's in charge of and what she wants to do uh, you know to change them and how she can get better ratings. So it was not meant to be uh, prurient. Uh, in that sense, it was just a you know a, a riff on this particular character, but you know it was some of these uh, you know, some of those aspects that really uh, you know made Dunaway uncomfortable and to the point where you know the the producers were left to contemplate well you know 
will we have to fire her? Will we have to basically start this movie all over again and reshoot all of her scenes with a new actor? Uh, they knew that that wasn't really a, a viable option. Uh, and so there's a lot of back-channel negotiation between the film's producer, Howard Gottfried, and uh, Dunaway's agent, Sue Mangers, and it essentially is codified in a, this, this little contract that's uh, you know signed between Gottfried and Faye Dunaway, spelling out in very kind of clinical detail exactly what's going to happen in the love scene and what Dunaway will or will not have to do or will or will not have to show. And she signs the document, but she puts a little signing statement at the bottom of it beneath her name saying, you know, it's my understanding that Sidney Lumet will consult with me on all camera angles and give me, you know, give full consideration to all my viewpoints. So, you know, even even in agreeing to uh, do that scene, I mean, Dunaway really was not yielding any ground and, you know, really making it known that, uh, you know, it, it was only going to be done in a way that she was comfortable with. Now, after the film was completed, but before it opened to the general public, there was a lot of anxiety on Patty Chayefsky's part about how the film would be received, especially among people in the news industry. He actually went so far as to write some thinly disguised letters of apology in advance to John Chancellor from NBC and Walter Cronkite from CBS News in case they got offended by the film. Right. I mean, you know, certainly he had been, Chayefsky had been, you know, angling or, or, you know, I mean, I mean, it was always his insistence that, you know, this be his movie. And so by the time the film comes out, I mean, he becomes the sort of receptacle for everyone's uh, responses to it, good or or bad. And there certainly are some, uh, you know, passionately negative responses that come, you know, from from the TV news industry. That because, you know, he had been given this behind-the-scenes access, a lot of people feel burnt that, you know, he kind of used that to write such a kind of scathing movie. I think also just the, the, the industry, the TV news people at the time had such a sense of uh, unimpeachability. They really were astounded that anybody could, uh, you know, see their, you know, their way of life in such a satirical way or see the potential for such uh, a downfall. And that really uh, irked a lot of people. And they were, they were more than happy to go on record with their dissatisfaction for the film. And that, uh, you know, I mean, Chayefsky is, is reading all of this uh, coverage of his movie, again, even before it's really gone out to a wide audience. And it really, uh, you know, consumes him. I mean, he knew there was going to be a certain amount of pushback to the film. But, you know, in those letters of apology, I mean, he writes to Cronkite that, you know, he never really thought of the movie as uh, specifically a satire on TV or on news, but this kind of larger piece about alienation and, and corruption. Uh, and I think his apology is sincere, but the fact that he sort of missed that possibility that it would be offensive to the people in the business, it really shows you, I mean, how kind of laser-focused he was on, you know, his own work and the, the, the message he thought he was communicating without realizing, you know, how it was going to play for the people in that business. Give us some idea of how the film was received by major critics of the day. And let's start, please, with the late, great Vincent Canby from your illustrious newspaper, The New York Times. His strongly positive review of the film was critically important, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to say that, you know, the New York Times came out, you know, early and in front of, you know, network and really, you know, championed it. Uh, you know, Canby was a huge fan, not only of the film, but of Chayefsky's and, you know, real, you know, came out right away to say, you know, this film marks Chayefsky as, you know, a major new American satirist and, and really, he, you know, he really got behind the movie, but, uh, you know, I mean, certainly the reviews were very polarizing, and for as much as you had, uh, you know, critics like Canby who were in favor of it, I mean, you also had folks like Pauline Kael and, and, you know, even Frank Rich, who, you know, at that point was writing for the New York Post, who really, uh, you know, strongly disliked the film and, you know, thought it was, you know, sloppy and couldn't really understand, you know, what it was targeting or, you know, what, what it was satirizing. And, uh, you know, the, the funny sort of unifying thread among all the criticism, even the people who were supportive of the film, is this sort of, you know, people, uh, the, 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 I mean, there's this sort of consensus that somehow, you know, even if you thought the movie was funny, it, that, that somehow whatever it was predicting was just never going to come true, that it was it was talking about a world that was, you know, so far flung and, and so absurd that it just didn't even really relate to the one that, you know, the people of 1976 were living in. And that's, I mean, it's a tremendous irony that, you know, there was such sort of dismissiveness about what it was predicting when we now know that, you know, so much of it did come to pass. Network is so breathtakingly prophetic, especially how the film underlines how TV networks will do anything, and I mean anything for a rating, and it's just so astonishing how much network seems to predict the depths of reality television that we see these days. I, I agree, and, you know, I, th- I think that at times, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're reluctant to want to admit to, I mean, the... the uh, you know, certain capacities of, of human nature. I mean, just how, uh, you know, easily we can be seduced or how, you know, how readily we will do things that are, you know, base or, or you know, just, just you know, that, you know how, how easily we sort of give in to our own weaknesses. I think people, you know, I think that's part of the reason why the news industry was so sort of inflamed by the movie because they wanted to believe that their profession was more noble and would never succumb to, you know, the kind Kinds of uh, you know temptations that you know Chayefsky presents in in the movie. Uh, you know we all want to believe that you know we're we're better than that. And and what time has told is that. Uh, no, actually, we aren't, and uh, actually, we we will, you know, very easily succumb to, you know, really just the, the most sort of, uh, you know, mercenary kinds of, of of TV programming. How many Oscars was Network nominated for? How many did it ultimately win? Uh, can you take us into that emotion charge night of the Oscars when Network was victorious? So, I mean, the film was was you know, it, it's one of the it's one of the most uh, you know uh, nominated films of. Of that year, that in you know it is it's 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 nominated for uh, you know ten Oscars altogether, and it would go on to win uh, four, including the prizes you know for Chayefsky as as its writer, uh, for you know Faye Dunaway and for uh, Beatrice Strait in their acting roles, and then there's this this issue of of Peter Finch, uh, you know who he, both he and William Holden are nominated for best actor, and Finch is deceased at this point, and the Academy has this kind of uh, unusual position where they've never had an actor win uh, an Academy Award. 
award posthumously, and there's no precedent for what to do in this situation. And there's even a little bit of discomfort because in past years you've had scenarios where, for example, you know George C. Scott turned down his Oscar for Patton, and uh, Marlon Brando sent uh, Sachin Littlefeather to accept his Oscar for The Godfather. So they don't want a kind of circus-like atmosphere. They want something that's you know dignified. And even though uh, you know, the, the network uh, producers and Chayefsky himself would very much like uh, Peter Finch's widow to accept the award. It happens that, you know, Peter Finch, of course, was white, but his wife was a black woman, and a lot of people did not know this. And uh, for various reasons, the Academy was not comfortable with her uh, coming up and accepting that award on his behalf if he should win. So Chayefsky and his colleagues have to resort to a kind of uh, subterfuge where they essentially tell the Academy, okay, if Finch, if he wins, uh, we'll send up Chayefsky. He'll accept the award on Finch's behalf. And that's what starts to happen, that Finch's name is called and if you go back and you watch the the actual video of this, even the you know the, the TV announcer gets on and says, you know, accepting the award on behalf of Peter Finch is screenwriter Patty Chayefsky, and Chayefsky comes out from the wings and makes as if he's receiving the trophy and starts to give a speech. But what he says is, you know, I really shouldn't be up here at all. The person who should be here is uh, you know Peter Finch's wife, Elisa. Will you please come up and accept your Oscar? And she's brought out of the audience and comes up on stage and receives the trophy and gives this very very uh, heartfelt speech. I mean, she's, of course, you know, crying as she delivers this. But, uh, you know, it's a speech that she'd given, seen her husband, her late husband, basically give in the bathroom mirror every morning when he was still alive. And so she's doing all that she can to kind of recreate uh, this moment and, you know, keep his memory alive. It's very touching. There's still a lot of garbage on TV, for sure. A lot of reality television, a lot of television that really turns your stomach and appeals to the lowest common denominator. But this is also, on the other hand, and very importantly, what's being called the second golden age of television with shows like Mad Men, The Sopranos, The Newsroom, recently True Detective, just a couple of of the shows over the last decade or so that are so smart and so sophisticated. Before we let you run, Dave, what are your thoughts about the state of television these days. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think what you're saying is very true. The, I mean, in, in, a, in a very funny way, you know, I mean, the, the sort of these prestigious, you know, cable dramas are very much uh, a direct descendant of the kinds of anthology dramas that Chayefsky got his start in, that, you know, they have, uh, you know, they're, they're, they have, you know, specific, uh, you know, uh, casts and writers now, but, they, you know, they do sort of harken back to the ensemble nature of, of the anthology shows, and of course, in the same fashion, they're also shown on Sunday nights, and so they become, you know, that was by design even back in the 1950s that they wanted to get you on Sunday night so that when you came into work on Monday morning, that's what you'd be talking about with your friends. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think you could make the argument that, you know, if, if Chayefsky were sort of in his heyday today, uh, you know, maybe he'd be a showrunner for HBO or AMC.